Crazy Chester Radio Hour. My name is Andreas Warner. I'm a record producer, songwriter, and owner of Crazy Chester Records. My guest today is Kelvin Holly, guitarist extraordinaire from Muscle Shoals. Kelvin is a member of the Decoys, the Amazing Rhythm Aces, and Fathers and Sons, and he was also a member of Little Richard's band and Peggy Young and the Survivors. Peggy Young sadly passed away between us recording this interview and today. Calvin also recorded with Greg Allman, Bobby Blue Bland, Candy Staten, Paul Thorne, Betty Lovett, Bonnie Bramlett, Jimmy Hall, just to name a few. <laughs> Welcome to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour, Calvin. Happy to be here. Thanks for being my guest today. I met you when you were playing with the decoys, which you still are, uh, and it immediately became one of my favorite bands. And not only that, but also like your guitar playing, oh, man, thank because you. it's like if it ever looked effortless on anyone, and a lot of people it looks say that effortless on you. Yeah, uh, and and you know you can tell I can tell you're having fun. I had Will McFarlane in here earlier, and you know we talked about we're really not getting paid to play. We're getting paid to 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 get to the gig, to yeah, travel, well, to set up, and all of that. About that, you know, we music's free. We get paid to pick up amplifiers and move them around. Yeah. So let let's go back to the beginning. You're actually born in in New Jersey because your dad was was in, in the army, right? Air Force. Yeah. Air Force. Mm -hmm. And you got to travel quite a bit as a, as a child. Yeah, but you know, not quite as much as some military families that we knew. I mean, we were actually stationed, uh, he was, uh, at Seward Air Force Base, which is in Smyrna, Tennessee, which is just south of Nashville. And uh, I mean, we lived there for a long time, you know. Uh, up to the time almost when I was 13 years old and then of course we moved overseas to Turkey and then I spent the majority of my teen years I uh, spent overseas you know yeah there's a, a German connection there too well yeah my mother's my mother's German so uh, when we left Turkey I think we were in Turkey for two and a half years and then my dad got orders to go to Vietnam so for a year and so rather than us go back to the States uh, we decided to go to Munich my, my mom's home and we lived there for the year that he was in Vietnam you know I loved it I didn't want to leave you know but then uh, he came back and uh, 
he got orders to go to Tacoma, Washington. Uh, I can't remember the Air Force Base. So we were all prepared to move to Washington State, and then at the last minute they changed it to Montgomery, Alabama. And that's where you... That's how I ended up in Alabama in, I think, 1970. Is there where you started making music, or did you before? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where I got serious. You know, I had, I was in garage bands and stuff. You know, playing with your buddies and, you know, trying to learn the instrument and, you know, it was an obsession with me. I mean, I just loved it. You know, still is. So. <laughs> Do you remember what your first band was called? Oh, wow. Um. Oh yeah. <laughs> the reverbs. All right. Yeah, it's like <coughs> Excuse me. Uh It's probably around 1965, I guess, something like that. Of course the Beatles were the was the deal, you know. Did you watch that at, at Sullivan oh, yeah. show in 64? Yeah, I had no I didn't even know it was going to be on. I just came home from a playing a baseball game, little league baseball. I was probably 10. Maybe a little older, I don't remember. I just remember uh, that was the thing. We watched Ed Sullivan show on Sundays, you know. And I remember distinctly my mother making spaghetti that night. And, I'm, and uh, I made a bowl of spaghetti and I just sat down in front of the TV and Ed Sullivan came on, the Beatles came on and I, my jaw just went in the spaghetti. And I was just like, wow. You know, it was the first time I'd seen like a band of guys playing their own music, you know. It was just, it was just mind-altering for me, you know. I woke up the next morning and I said, wow, you know, this is, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, you know. And the next day at school, everybody and their brother were starting bands, you know. Yeah, all across the country, too. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it, too, had to do with the girls screaming, you know, you're at that age, you know, you're in, you start in, getting interested in the opposite sex, you know. Yeah, so, and then you moved to, to Montgomery area, mm -hmm. and uh, that had a pretty vibrant music scene, I guess, at that time, because that there's time, quite yeah. a few people coming out of that scene that are still active and very much uh, still, still, uh, successful yeah. like Tommy Shaw, Tommy Shaw, Beth yeah. Nielsen Beth, Chapman, yeah. Bill Hines, who was Bill, in, yeah. Rick Kurtz. Mm -hmm. um, Rick, I think, was down around the Panhandle area. I mean, Florida Panhandle, you know, like Panama City or Destin or somewhere like that. You know, Mobile. Yeah. Was Was Harvest the first like bigger band you were a part of? Or? Yeah, I, you know, at the time I didn't really think about the bigger band thing, you know, but you knew you knew which bands were popular, you know, in a local music scene, you knew which ones were popular, but, you know, when I graduated high school down there, I, I joined a very popular band at the time, you know, and then, uh, then I met Bill, you know, he was 15, I was like 17, something like that. And then we started hanging out and playing together, you know. And but eventually, you know, I I, I got asked to come play with Harvest, you know, because uh, Tommy Shaw had left. What happened was 
Tommy Shaw left to go play with Sticks. This was probably around 75 or six, you know. And so when he left, they got Beth. You know, Beth was uh, pretty young too. She was like 18 when they when she started playing with him. And then I think the reason they got her because she was a good vocalist and she could do Joni Mitchell like Joni, you know, I mean, it was like really good. And then at some point they decided they needed a, wanted a, an electric guitar player, so I got that job, you know. Did you ever uh, go to a recording studio with that band? Well, <laughs> oddly enough, I mean, we played a bowling alley lounge down there for, for as long as I was with them. I mean, it was like a staple. It was packed every night, you know. And uh, wasn't a big place or not, but... Uh, out of the blue one night, uh, Robert Byrne came in. And we he came up to us like on a break and we started talking. He said he was lived up here. And he was a songwriter and all this and that and the other. And then he came back up here and told Tommy Brassfield about us, which Tommy was uh, a staple around this this part, you know, for years. And so Robert brought Tommy down there and he heard us. Then he came back up here and told Terry Woodford and Clayton Ivy they had Wishbone. So I think Terry may have come down there the next time. Anyway, long story short, we ended up coming up to here to record court at Wishbone, you know. And uh, they signed us to like a production deal and we cut maybe seven or eight songs you know and that was a another mind-altering experience for me because it was kind of really the first time i'd been into it like a legit recording studio you know with incredible musicians i thought at the time so did any of that ever get released no i mean we did they tried to get deals and stuff you know but uh Oddly enough, after about a year, I left and moved to Memphis. Beth ended up starting her solo career, basically, because from where we started there at Wishbone, you know. She ended up leaving, came back up here and worked with Barry Beckett, you know. So. How did Harmony happen? Well, you know, we were Harvest. Before we came to Wishbone, we were Harvest. And out of the blue one day, this is in my recollection, Terry Woodford said, because we had a lot of vocal harmony, and, and uh, he decided that we should change our name to Harmony, that he thought it, it worked better, you know. So we said, okay, whatever. So that's how that happened. But it was the same band. It was the same band, yeah. And although that's a long time ago, not too long ago, you guys actually did a reunion show. Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes those things are fun, you know, because I love all those guys and they're great players. I love playing with them and, uh, you know, they're some of my best friends still, really. But uh, a friend of theirs, I didn't really know him, but he was a guitar player in Montgomery, got cancer and you know they were decided they needed to do a benefit so that's how that first reunion happened and we had so much fun that we've done a few since then you know 
and uh, it's really good. It's really cool. And you and Bill Hines over the years have collaborated on different things too. Well, like the Bill and I played a lot together in bands. We put bands together. We, you know, we we taught a lot. Uh, we taught each other a lot. You know, I think I learned a lot from him. I know that because he's a phenomenal uh, guitar player, musician. You know. And of course, you know, as you do in music, you go your separate ways, but you still, you know, it's a big part of your your memory, you know. So there were great times, you know. Were you in a band in, in Memphis too? Well, when I left Harmony, I, I, I had an offer from some guys from the band Black Oak, Arkansas. And, you know, they were all still, that band was, that splintered into a whole nother thing, you know. I think Jim Dandy was the only original guy left, so. But, I, you know, I kind of looked at it as an opportunity to get out of what I was doing, because I, I, I started feeling like things were not gonna go well, you know. And so I, I, I moved to Memphis and did, started doing that, you know. And then, you moved here in 91? Yeah. Was that around the same time you uh, you ended up in the decoys? Well, I ended up in the decoys, it was more like the end of 89, early 90. I mean, I just, uh, at, at the time I was in my first marriage, I was living in Athens, Alabama. I played five nights a week in Huntsville, me and Bill Hines. Yeah. I mean, I played that gig for three and a half years. Bill was there like five, five nights a week. And you're talking about, you know, playing. We play a lot, you know. What was that band called? T-Mac. It was a popular band over there, you know. And uh, I mean, we did a lot of dueling guitar stuff, you know. And it was a good band. It was a good, good rock band, you know. Is that how you got on Johnny Sandlin's radar? I think so. Uh, I'm trying to remember how exactly it went down, but I I remember getting a phone call from him one day. Said he got uh, my number from somebody he knows, and said that he lived in Decatur and had a band called the Decoys and had a studio, and they needed a guitar player. You know, would I be willing to come audition? I went, sure. You know. And so that led to another life-changing experience was hooking up with those guys, you know. Yeah, that's, you know, been going on ever since pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been going on ever since. I mean, who would have ever thought, I mean, how many bands stay together almost 30 years, you know? And, I mean, chances are had their health, you know, turned for the worse, you know, we'd still be doing it, you know. I mean, we still are, but anytime somebody passes away, it's never the same, you know. Especially with Scott being, you know, the, he was, the lead he was, singer, yeah. kind of the main guy there in many ways. Exactly. I mean, so, he and I were like, were the original, part of that original deal, you know. Is Was that when you went to that audition, is, that when you met Scott for the first time? Met, of course, you know, I was a huge Capricorn Records guy, fan, 
all through the 70s, well, ever since they started, you know. Of course, I knew who they were. I had no idea Johnny lived in Decatur. All I knew of Johnny was the work he did and seeing his name on the records, you know. So when he called, I was like, wow, this is great. So, but yeah, musically and everything changed for me when I started playing with that band. I, that's where I found my voice as a, as a guitar player, you know. Yeah, was uh, uh, the Scott Boyer and the Decoys, All My Friends album, the first recorded document that came out of that? No, there's some other stuff, but it never really came out. You know, we did a, Johnny had this idea to, to give us like an alias. Well, I got this right here. It's Scalded called a dog. dog. Call to this day, dog. that's one of my favorites. <laughs> Okay, I didn't know that was actually happened before. I think so. One. I mean, I could be wrong. But uh, you'll have to look at the dates. I could be wrong, but that's one of my favorites. This is a cool. I don't even too. have a copy of that, by the way. Well, I'll make I'll make you. <laughs> I one. love it. Uh, that is a cool one, and it's kind of I guess was somewhat connected because Russell Smith had his own like alter ego project yeah, run C and w. w was that something that is around the same time i guess yeah i mean that's a little different those are all original songs for the most part you know uh russell and then we're doing like bluegrass motown you know yeah which was great i mean i still listen to it so it, it is great it's, it's great me and roger hawkins we went to belgium for a month It was shortly after that record came out. We went to Belgium for a month to tour with Luke Walter over there, and uh, we had to drive to Holland every day for rehearsals, and we'd put Run C&W on, you know. That's what, we just loved it, so. And then the decoys would have, I guess, different type of residencies, but one that a lot of people here in town seem to remember is the one at Union Station. Mm -hmm. And you also recorded a live record yeah, that came out of cassette there. Yeah, we had a rent a truck and we just threw some recording stuff in the back and Johnny's engineer, Steve Lowry, little Steve Lowry uh, recorded us. Turned out great, you know. Yeah. But yeah, Union Station was a, it started out, uh, Danny Lambert had a little uh, pool hall is really what it was, you know, uh, over on 2nd Street and Somebody came up to us one night, would be interested in maybe coming on a Tuesday night and just play, you know. But he didn't have like tables and chairs, it was all pool tables, so they put plywood on top of the tables and put chairs around it. And, and slowly but surely we started building up this, this thing, you know. And so, yeah, it was great, man. And then you, you went to fame to cut a studio record. Two, yeah. the shot, shot, shot from, from the, the saddle, saddle album. Yeah. That was after Union Station. Uh, it, it was either after, or it could have been kind of towards the end of it. You know, I'm not, I can't really remember. I, sometimes all the years I get confused on. You know. And uh, during that time, I guess you also started doing session work for for Johnny Sandlin's projects. Played I guess mainly some Malico stuff. I guess Malico. And, uh, Uh, just to name a few, Bobby Bland, Jimmy Hall, Chuck Lavelle, 
Betty Lovett was a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Eddie Mitchell, I have heard a funny story there. Yeah, Tim Johnny Wilson, but ba- yeah, Bonnie Bramlin, Danny Brooks, Klaus Forman, uh, Paul Thorne, Tommy Tolton, Candy State, and Greg Holman. The list goes on and on. I had Steve Trash here. He played with Steve Trash's records. Yeah. So, uh, what is like for you? The difference, life versus studio. Like as far as you being comfortable, or if you, or maybe also kind of well, you know, for- at heart, uh, I love the, the recording process. Uh, it, it is different, you know. I I like playing live. I like the the uh, camaraderie with the musicians playing in the moment. Yeah, you know. Uh, but I, I get the same. You know, every gig's different, live gig's different, every studio gig's different, you know. Sometimes you feel really good about what you did, sometimes you don't, you know. The important thing is you can't force it, you know, so. You either suck one day or you don't, you know. I mean, it's just life, so. But I've never, I've never aspired to be a studio musician, you know. and a lot of my best friends are studio musicians. It just never appealed to me. I always looked at it, if somebody likes the way I play and they think I'd be a good fit for the record, shoot ya, you know, I'm, all, I'm on my all in, you know. Yeah. But I do like getting a call because uh, you never know who, who you're playing with a lot of times and the creative process of putting a, a finished product together right there on the fly. You know, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. Um, you also joined the Amazing Rhythm Aces. How did that come about? Well, you know, you just you're the right place at the right time, kind of thing. It's just fate. It's a lot about who you you're hanging out with, and in this case, uh, Butch McDade was our drummer. He was the original drummer in the Rhythm Aces, and he was playing drums with the Decoys. He ended up moving to Huntsville and. We met, and at the time, you know, Roger, I think, Hawkins, uh, wasn't able to play anymore. Because at that at one time, we had Roger and David. It was our rhythm section, you know. But, uh, so Butch was playing with us, and then Russell Smith, who I didn't know at the time, wanted to put the band back together, original guys, you know, but the two guitar players didn't want to do it. They had other things going on, so. Butch and, and James Hooker suggested me, and uh, they were just getting ready to start recording their comeback album, you know, out of the blue. So I went to uh, Lebanon, Tennessee, where we cut the record, and uh, that was the first time I met Russell and Billy, and you know. Yeah, and everybody else was the original guy, Stick. Butch and Hooker, yeah. uh, Stick was playing bass still, Jeff Davis. So it was all them minus Duncan and, and Bird, you know. But I played a couple of songs and Russell said, man, great. You know, so, I mean, I'm still playing with him. Yeah. So that's another band I've been with, I think, 95 was when I first started, so. And you did a second studio album with them? And, I uh, did several. I, you I know, believe Life Record too, or DVD anyway. Uh, yeah, I did the DVD in Australia. Yeah. 
So that's been a gig, although it's not like full-time gig, but no, you've been doing no, that no. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then another gig you did for a long time was being Little Richard's guitar player. Yeah. How so did how did that? That was come? another uh, about who you know or who you're hanging with. But at you know Union Station, I got to know a lot of the local musicians around here because it was a hangout on Tuesday night, you know. I'd get a lot of them to come up and jam. And, but I uh, I met uh, Travis and Wayne Chaney and Chalmers and Guy Higginbotham. They were all in Little Richard's band, you know. So it came up where Richard wanted two guitar players, you know. And I think the, it came down to Travis or Wayne or saying, well, we know a guy. And he, Richard called me up. I didn't believe it at first when they first called me, but I found myself flying to Los Angeles the next day. I met with him in his hotel room. So for a while it was actually you and Travis in the band? Yeah, about five or six shows. And then there was a European tour that got booked with Fats, Domino, or Chuck Berry, you know. Uh, and Travis and Monkey stayed behind, and that was it. So, and you've done that till uh, almost much twenty day. years. Yeah. I was with Richard. I was thinking the other, and I may have told you this in the past, but I played uh, Percy Sledge's last show ever and Little Richard's last show ever. You know, everybody has a beginning and an ending. I just happened to end up at the very end with him. You know. Yeah. So. It was an honor and a, uh, an education to, to to travel everywhere with Richard, you know. And you did, was it the Tonight Show with, with him and Chuck Berry? Yeah, it was the first time Richard and Chuck Berry had ever appeared together live on a, on a TV show. You That's know? a pretty good gig right there. It was a trip, man. It was... <laughs> Those two together are fire and water. I bet. Now, more recently, you also joined Peggy Young's band, which at that time was married to Neil Young. Right. And was Spooner Alden the one that made the connection because he... Well, he was actually Spooner's wife, but even though, you know, Spooner and I have been friends for a long, long time, you know, but uh, I knew that he had told me he'd been playing in, in Peggy Young's band. I didn't know that much about her other than she was Neil's wife, you know. So, anyway, apparently uh, they were rehearsing a tour, and uh, the guitar player at the time, uh, well, just decided he couldn't do it, you know, and they needed a guitar player, like, soon, you know, they were all kind of freaking out, well, who are we going to get, who are we going to get, you know, and anyway, Spooner called Karen to tell her what was going on, and she just said, well, what about Kelvin? And it kind of spinner kind of, yeah. So Karen called me up, and I was at home, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm laying on the couch. This is like four o'clock in the afternoon, you know. She said, well, can you get on a plane? I said, yeah, what's going on? And she told me, and Anyway, uh, they wanted me to fly out there that night, you know, and so I, I, I got it out for the next morning, but I flew out to Neil and Peggy's ranch, you know, and uh, got the gig, you know, so. 
Yeah, and more more recently, Shauna Tucker, another. Uh, well, our bass player Rick Rick Rosas, Rick the bass player played with Neil and Joe Walsh for years, you know, amongst others. But he passed away. But I'd remember uh, Peggy mentioning one night, well, "I wish we could find a." a girl bass player, you know, and me and Spinner just kind of looked at each other and went, Shauna, Shauna Lee Tucker, you know. So I got a hold of her and, you know. But see, you know, you know in, in, in band circles and musician circles, it's always, you know, somebody, you know. And that's, so that's how you get a lot of gigs is by knowing somebody, you know. So very rarely does it happen uh, where somebody doesn't recommend you for a job or something because they know that you would be a fit maybe or something, you know, so. Yeah, and uh, you didn't just end up playing guitar, but on this most recent record, you and Spooner also co-wrote mo most of the songs. Yeah, with her. yeah, we did. Um, of course, you know, it's, it's public knowledge that Peggy and Neil divorced, you know, so she was going through a really rough time, you know. And uh, she had written a lot of lyrics and they weren't, some of them weren't very nice, you know. And anyway, we had done a series of, uh, of, of gigs and we ended up playing uh, some big festival uh, out in California. And I'll be dang if I can remember which one it was called. Uh, it's out there where they do Coachella and all that. Uh, Anyway, uh, long story short, she just said, uh, asked me and Spooner if we would hang there for a few days, you know, at the hotel, and we'll sort through some of her lyrics. Maybe we could come up with some music. So she came down to my room, her and Spooner, and man, we just, she laid all the lyrics out on the bed, and I'd pick up a stack, and I mean, we wrote a lot of songs in like two or three days, you know, which a lot of them ended up on the record, so. Yeah. That's how that happened. So, uh, so more recently, you and Will McFarlane been joining forces and do the Fathers and Sons. Yeah, you know, I've always enjoyed playing with in a band with a guitar player that's better than me. <laughs> Well, he would probably say the same thing. Well, I don't know. It's a, it's a mutual admiration, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, Will and I, we've known each other a while, but it was always, we, we were on a gig together like the Hall of Fame shows or we were on a session together. And uh, one day we were talking and we were saying, you know, we ought to put together a, a band just for fun and maybe try to get a gig. and. And so we did, and so that's what we're doing. I mean, you know, like tonight, you know, we play every Tuesday uh, at Flobama, downtown Florence, and uh, and it's a ball, you know, we have a great time. Yeah, you e even ended up cutting a Christmas record. We did. Yeah, Jamie, uh, uh, Will's son, Jamie McFarland, had that idea floating around for a couple months, and finally, uh, everything came together and said okay let's do it you know and i think it turned out great you know it sounds like us in a lot of ways of course we had access to a really nice studio you know the nut house so yeah 
Another record in the Europeak part of that I love is uh, Donnie Fred's one, in, one Foot in the Groove album. Yeah. That was pretty much the decoys backing up Donnie at Dampan Studios. Dan's, yeah. How was the making that record? Well, my remembrance of it was great. You know, I was just laid back and just went in there and played the songs. We knew the songs for the most part, you know, and we just went in there and cut it, you know. And uh, Dan was great. It was cool hanging with him and watching him do his thing. I loved how he had it at that time. He probably still does, but he had like... He was going through this speaker phase, you know, but he had like seven or eight different pairs of speakers hooked up at any given time. So he was always, you know, listening to different speakers. He had a cool place. Yeah. And then a few years after that, you and, and Donnie went over to Japan for a tour, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, the decoys backed up. Percy Sledge, you've done shows with Eddie Floyd or yeah. Candy State. And well, you know, with the decoys, I was the first one that moved here, okay? Everybody else was still kind of living in the Decatur area, you know. I, I moved here, and then we started playing at Union Station, and then Scott moved over here, then NC moved over here. So we kind of came part the band did kind of came a part of this local scene so then it got to a point where we'd get a call you know so-and-so's coming to town can you back them up and we're like yeah you know and so we did so i came up with the thing like we've kind of become like the house band you know because we kept backing up all these people that came through, you know, like Percy or Eddie or whoever, you know. So, yeah, we backed him up a lot. Yeah, so uh, earlier we talked a little bit about Scott Boyer, but I feel like we need to talk about him just a little bit more because the two sure. of you were like brothers, really. He was, yeah, he was uh, we became fast friends, you know, he was... He was your best man. The best man at my wedding, and uh, you know we we shared a lot of a lot of memories and a lot of music. You know, we, we went to USO tour together for seven weeks in the Mediterranean, and you can really get to know somebody good. Yeah, there's some good stories from that tour. We've got there's good, great stories, man. I mean, you know, in life when you get old. It's what you're left with is your memories, you know. And hopefully they, they turn out to be good ones, you know. And I have nothing but good memories, you know. And I, I miss him every day and, I, you know. I mean, we've all lost, lost people we loved, you know, so. But it, they stay a part of you. Yeah. You know? And early last year, I... Uh... And I've been trying to do I've been trying to do that for a while. I wanted to get the Dicos to make another record. Right. And well, you uh, sure did, man. You put it together. So and it so ended up that it was pretty much the last like strong performance in Scott's life. Yeah, you know, we wanted to do it. I mean, we talked about it for years, you know, because 
I mean, really, in essence, the only record we did was that one we did at Fame, you know, and then, which is a tragedy because there were so, so many great songwriters and players, and we just never, we just never got to it. So you you were instrumental in making that happen, and I, and I know Scott wanted it too, you know. So you know, I'd have done anything he wanted me to, you know. So yeah, and I just. Remember it kind of, you know, and that's just looking back, but it just kind of, I it guess was it was kind night. of meant We to, had a good night. It was a good night, yeah. and uh, it's just like, you know, the fact that we were able actually to to do it before yeah. Scott, you know, Passed died away, or really yeah. got sick. Uh, I'm just so glad that we now have to, you know, that document. Yeah, absolutely. That's the beautiful thing about music, man. It's a... Uh, documentation of somebody's life you know whether they're still here or not you know so something that will always remain yeah so. absolutely one thing I, I just briefly would like to talk about too because it it resulted in a few pretty memorable musical events and there was you collaborating with your wife Tanya right who's mainly in the you know film world but there were some crossovers, like you were involved with soundtracks. There's the When I Get to the Ocean. When I Find the Ocean. When I Find the Ocean soundtrack, which I always liked that a lot. Yeah. But then you guys also so did a 9-11 uh, type of trip. Yeah, that was record. all Tanya's idea. I mean, after 9-11, uh, she... I think it started uh, that she had written some lyrics you know, because everybody was pretty tore up about that when it happened. You know, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, but she'd come up with the lyrics and, and showed them to me one morning. We just sat down and we came up with the song, you know, and then she, we all got excited about it. And then she said, you know, we should cut a record and, and tribute to the memory of the the firefighters of 9-11 and maybe try to do a, a charity kind of thing, you know, and sell them, and, which was a great idea, but we ended up doing a whole double CD, you know, uh, and she included everybody, the whole, I mean, there was like unbelievable amounts of musicians involved. And there's this one track where like and, all the Muscle Shoals guitar players are. Yeah, that, well, that was... <laughs> We almost divorced over that one, but uh, <laughs> she she had this vision of all these guitar players playing some a melody or something, and and I didn't want to do it. I said no, I don't want to do it, you know. And the day that she had scheduled all of the guitar players to come down here and record the song, I had nothing written. The very day. The mor that morning she came down, we have a little studio in her house, she came down and she hummed two notes to me. She goes, I hear, ding, 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 ding. And I'm, so I hit the chime on the good, ding, ding. And then I came up with a melody and it, it came out in about 30 minutes, the melody. And I worked up a little demo of it. We went to Shoals Theater and recorded it. You know. It's a trip. 25 guitar players. We didn't record them all at the same time. You know, I'd put like four or five together and 
they're all on there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we mentioned that you played in Fathers and Sons with Will, and uh, Will's sons are, are musicians. Chain yeah. is in it. How does it feel to pass that, you know, spark on? Younger guys, you mean? Yeah, your son is a musician, oh, and well, your daughter you know, is a singer-songwriter. You, you talking about the age difference? No, I'm just talking about, it's like, it must feel good to actually kind of be able to pass that on to, to your kids. Oh, I and see what you're this, saying. Yeah, this, you know what I'm saying about, I have three kids, a son and two daughters, and I never, they knew what I did, and they knew what their mother did, you know. Uh, we never forced it on them. It was never, you know, if anything, I was like, don't become a musician, you know. Don't try to do it, you know, for a living, you know. Basically, the same thing my parents used to tell me. Well, learn how to do something else, and then you can, then you can go play your guitar, you know. So, but, uh, I mean, they're all artists in their own right, you know. Uh, Kyle is a drummer in Atlanta, has his own band, and Lily's an actress, and Abby plays guitars and, and writes songs and sings, and, but they do it all on their own, you know. But you every now and then play with her. Yeah, I played a few gigs with her. You know, she'd go, Dad, you need to learn this new Miranda Lambert song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've backed her up on the guitar, you know. She's still learning the guitar, but she's, she does pretty good. But yeah, I've played some, a, a few local gigs with her, you know. Yeah. So besides that, what do you got coming up? Just more of the same, really, you know. Uh, gigs and sessions, man. You know. So, uh, if like, you know, looking back on, on sessions and you've done so many over the years, are there any ones that stick out more more than others like on the old, you know, just Well yeah, like there's the there's definitely a few that you could you'll be like, you know, it, it's you know, when you're young and and you're you know, you're learning about music and you're listening to music and you you kind of figure out who your heroes are pretty early on, you know, and for me to actually have played with a lot of my heroes is is amazing to me, you know. I mean, so it's been a great road, you know. Uh, I basically achieved what I've wanted to do is play music and see the world, you know. Of course, it's nice to make money and. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And, but the passion's still there, you know. I still want to do it, so. Yeah, you get fed up with it sometimes, but you get over it. I think when you get older, you get more accepting of things, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. Accept it, put it behind you, and move on, you know. So you, early on, you mentioned the the Beatles' impact when you saw them on Ed Sullivan, and although I don't think you got a chance to play with Beatles, you got a chance to play in the studio with Klaus Forman, Klaus, yeah, who was one of their main collaborators and played a lot on the Yes, yeah, I mean, he was albums. another name that I didn't know that much about him. Uh, I knew he was an artist. I knew he played bass with John Lennon's Ono Band and uh, Manfred Mann and. 
But I knew that he knew the Beatles from very early on, the Hamburg days, you know. Um, and it just happened uh, out of the blue, our friend Don Nix in Memphis was friends with him. You know, he met him with, in the 70s when Don was hanging out with George Harrison, you know. And he, he called me and David Hood up one day and said that, that Klaus was going to do a solo record. He was going to come around to all these different studios around the world with all of his friends and cut a track or two, you know. So we got, me and David got hired to go to Memphis at Arden and, and play on a couple things for Klaus's record, you know. And, uh, which is cool because, you know, the, the cover of the record kind of, he's got all of the people that played on it drawn out with our cutout in it or something. But I got Paul McCartney's like right over my shoulder, you know, and I'm like, wow, this is cool, you know. So to go from watching him on Ed Sullivan's show to being on the same record, you know. Yeah. So uh, as far as bucket list, you probably got most of those crossed off. By well, now. yeah, I mean, and, 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 and Klaus was such a gentleman and such a nice guy that, you know, he was more than happy to answer any questions we had about the Beatles or anything. I remember one, uh, one morning when we were getting there, I walked in the studio and there was a box, big box on top of the grand piano. And nobody was around, so I just kind of pulled the lid up and I noticed there was a lot of artwork in there, you know. And so he saw me looking at it. And so he came in, he said, yeah, you can have whatever you want out of there. And so I started pulling out and David came in and so he gave us a, 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 some of his artwork, you know, which is really cool, man. Yeah, that's iconic stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all signed and numbered stuff, you know. It's, uh, it means a lot to me, you know, it's pretty cool. Have some of his original stuff. Yeah. So uh, tonight you're gonna be playing with Fathers and Sons, yep, Will and yep. all of them. And uh, I guess towards the end of the decoys when Scott couldn't handle as, you know, much of the vocal duties as he used to, you started to, you know, you always sang a few songs, but you kind of started increasing that. And you're, you're singing some too with, with, uh, with Fathers and Sons. Yeah, but you know, I never, I never considered myself a singer and I am rather uncomfortable to sing. I'm just, it's not, Sometimes it comes to me naturally and sometimes it doesn't, you know, and I, it has to be a certain kind of song in order for me to sing it, you know. Uh, and I'll, I've never been good about remembering lyrics, you know, uh, especially that many, you know, whereas for Will, it just seems effortlessly, you know, he just, but he's been doing that a lot longer than I have. I've been in a band where I was not the singer. I've been in bands where I sang a lot, you know. But the past 30 years, I haven't. So you tend to get lazy about it, I guess is the word, you know, about not singing. And I have a lot of people say, man, you need to sing more. And I'm going, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, you know, 
it's also like if you're so much known as the guitar player, that's you know what people usually hire you for. Yeah, yeah, I guess you know. I just do what I can do. You know, uh, if 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 somebody wants me to try to sing a song, I'll be happy to. And if it turns out great or good, then uh, I mean I know pretty quick whether I can sing a song or not. You know. Yeah, so uh, I say <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> for, for spending this past hour with me. And the reason why I'm laughing is because whenever I think of you, I you do this wink, 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 wink on the guitar. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for, and I'm like, that's, that's to I me. Started, that's so so yeah. Kelvin to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I like to laugh. And I like to, you know, I just like to laugh with people, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's something I started doing way back in the 70s, you know. Just make my guitar say thank you very much, you know. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's on the record, too. Sometimes it's an <laughs> icebreaker, you know, if the night's kind of weird. or. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, thank you so much. Hey, man, uh, I've mean, I mean, enjoyed the chat. You have okay. a fun gig tonight, and yeah, then, uh, a lot of great, you know, musical, musical yeah, adventures. The road is long up. and wide, man. Just keep on, keep on uh, riding down the road. This was the forty-fifth episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to check out some of our earlier episodes with some other great musicians and music-minded people. And subscribe to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour podcast on iTunes or check it out on SoundCloud, YouTube, TuneIn or Stitcher. We taped today's episode at the Florence Lauderdale Tourism Visitor Center in Florence, Alabama, part of the Muscle Shoals area. That's it for today. See you next week. <laughs>